0: Lord, our hearts break when we hear things like we've heard today and we know that sin just continues to march into the human condition in ways that that just destroy us in certain ways. And so tonight, on behalf of those who were directly involved in the atrocities of what happened in South Florida? We we ask that you would show yourself in a in a way that um, breaks through all of the pain of that. And we know that that you are still God. You weren't asleep when that happened. You weren't distracted by something else. And it's easy for us way out here in the West to settle into that truth but some of those people on the front lines of that event today may have trouble with that so we just ask that you would put people in places that are strategic to share your love with those families and um, school people and first responders that you would show yourself to be the loving God and um, that you through your spirit's work in those quiet moments that are full of emotional rage for some of those families we, we ask that you would be bigger than the emotion your spirit would do what you do best which is to speak peace into the midst of a storm we pray for those church leaders in that area pray that you would give them keen insights into what you would have those people hear. We pray that you would give them a heart that takes them through the pain of all of that into the field of ministry, that you would speak through them in ways that amazes even them. For the churches of that area, we ask that you would show your heart through those people that when it's all said and done that not only the people of that area but the people of the world would see a group of Christian people who refuse to be pushed aside by the evil of sin and that you would use them to be comforters and you would use them to be voices of reason that is divine in nature, not just human. When it's all said and done, Father, we pray that you would somehow be glorified in this, and that it would be one of these times that it provides a paradigm shift, a quantum shift in our nation's perspective on you, that you would prove yourself to be God once again. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you may know the name of Donald Barnhouse. He was a famous pastor and pulpiteer of the previous generation. And it is said that Donald Barnhouse often closed his church services with this prayer. Lord, dismiss us with your peace, except for those who don't know you. Keep them miserable until they come to know the Prince of Peace. So last time... Two weeks ago, we were talking about prayer and about praying for others. And so Barnhouse gives us a little bit of an example of how we might pray for people who don't know Jesus Christ. I hope that at least uh, over the last couple of weeks, you've been challenged in the way you pray for other people, as we discussed. We're going to be in the same passage tonight. It's John chapter 17. Last week I tried to give you the overview of a few verses and tonight we're going to do a little mining, a little scripture mining and so we're going to kind of hunker down in verse 6 of John chapter 17. You'll remember that this is Jesus' prayer, some people call it the high priestly prayer, I prefer to call it the Lord's Prayer proper and uh, Jesus has gone through a section where he prayed for himself and now he's in this transition where he begins to pray for his disciples, those who were with him at that time. And in verse 6, he says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So the first half of the verse is where we're going to be tonight, and uh, we're going to take it in two different pieces, because I think instead of looking as we did before, at how to pray for others out of that passage, I think we find a little bit of instruction about how we might pray for ourselves out of just that first half of that verse. So here's the first, the first point of reference, I think. Uh, notice what he says, that he is praying for those people whom God had given him out of the world. Now, that's a reference to his disciples, the 12 especially, but it probably extended beyond just the 12 that came to be called apostles. Uh, have you ever stopped and looked in Scripture about how Jesus came to pick those 12? I don't know if that kind of stuff bothers you or not, but uh, I went through a time I went, so why those 12? What about number 13? This is like being impaneled for a jury, but you don't, get, you don't quite get there and you really want to, right? You don't really want to be on a jury. They don't pick preachers for juries. They always want to serve on a jury, but they don't want a preacher on a jury usually. So no matter where I've sat, they always release me, right? So what about the disciples that were there that didn't get picked? Or how did Jesus come to pick these? Look with me at Luke chapter 6, and we get a little bit of an answer for that. We have other passages where Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he sees you know these guys out there fishing, and he says, Hey, you guys come follow me. But Luke gives us a little bit different spin on this. It's a little bit of an insight into how Jesus handled himself and handled the situation with this. So let me find it. Hang on a second. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, we read this. And in these days, Jesus went out on the mountain to pray, or out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came... He called his disciples and he chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. And then the next couple of verses there it gives the names of the twelve. So how did Jesus come to settle on those twelve as opposed to another different twelve? And the answer is he spent all night praying about it. Wouldn't you like to have had a little bit of insight into how Jesus' prayer meeting went that night? I don't want to I don't want to assume too much, but I have to believe there was this conversation between Jesus and God. Simon Peter, are you sure? Have you seen that guy? (laughs) Maybe he didn't do that, but Jesus prayed about it before he chose them. And so when we pull all of that together, that passage and the other ones where Jesus chose Jesus, the fisherman and the tax collector and all of those things help us to know that Jesus was intentional in choosing his disciples. It was not a haphazard thing. It was not one of those things where he just kind of, you know, whatever he felt like at the moment. He was intentional to get with God so that he could know exactly who it was that God had for him. And so let's apply that for a minute and say it this way. I know that none of us, especially me, none of us, are Jesus. I know that. But I also know that each one of us is called to disciple other people. Now, I need to let that sink in a little bit and settle in a little bit. Because there are those strains of Christian history that would say that no, all of us are not called to disciple other people. That's the job of preachers, or especially executive pastors, or youth ministers, or whomever else, deacons maybe. There would be those strains of church history, streams we might call them, that would say, no, we have a key area, a key group of people, and they're the ones who do the discipling. The rest of us, we just do the work. Here's what's wrong with that. It's not biblical. Matthew 28. Let's see, what is that verse? Go, go how does that go? Help me how. Go ye therefore. Wait a minute, who's the Who's the ye? Is that everybody? All right, If if that's everybody, then you need to pay attention, or we all need to pay attention to what the rest of the verse says, right? Go ye therefore into all nations. Well, let's just read it, okay? I, I could quote it, I was ready, but I was just trying to set you up for this, so here we go. Matthew 28 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now who's supposed to do that? All of us? All of us. Now, I could continue the verse, but it's gotten what I want us to get out of it for just a second. Each of us is called to make disciples. Now, we need to wear that. As uncomfortable as it may be, we need to wear that. Here's what makes it uncomfortable. Let me just ask you, who are you discipling right now? In your life, who are the people that you are intentionally Discipling, you see why it's a little uncomfortable. Um, And I'm not really here to lay guilt. That's not my intent at all. My intent is to get us at the point of prayer that mirrors something of what Jesus is doing in this particular case. Back to John 17, Jesus is praying this way. He says, "I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world." In other words, Jesus is saying, "I have embraced my role." of training these people and he gives us that same task in Matthew 28 19 and so when we come to this I I think we need to start with this fundamental reality I've said this probably right about the time I came either in view of a call or right after I came to be your pastor Uh, I hadn't said it in a while and I like to say it on a regular basis so it becomes part of who we are so here it is God has strategically placed each of us in a circle of people who desperately need life. One more time. God has strategically placed each of us in a circle of people who desperately need life. So who is that circle for you? Now, for most of us, the easy answer is, well... That involves my family. Teresa and I have three children and one of the primary functions that we had as parents was to introduce our children to a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ and to learn how to walk with him and to learn how to be like him. Now whether we were successful at that or not, is for only God to decide. Um, But that's our function. And by the way, that's your function too. Part of the circle that God has put you in uh, in order to disciple people is your family. But we take it beyond that and we also then, most of us have friends. Some of us struggle with that a little bit, but most of us have friends. And those friends may well be the people that God has put into our circle so that we might teach them how to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, how to walk with him, and ultimately how to be like him. That's discipleship. Okay? Discipleship involves that reach, that evangelistic encounter that causes them to come face to face with their need for a savior. But discipleship goes beyond that in teaching people how to walk with Jesus and how to look like Jesus in their lives. God has strategically placed each of us in a circle of people who desperately need life. For Jesus, those 12 were, were his immediate circle. We could even argue, and I'll do this eventually in one of the Bible studies we do, uh, that there was even and more inner circle than just those 12. Jesus had three that he took places he didn't take the rest of them. But that's a whole other series, and so we'll get to that sooner or later. What is that circle for you? Who is the circle? Family, friends, neighbors, extended contacts. Who is that? And what is the goal for you with them? Let me tell you about my mom a little bit. Um, I hope one of these days you get to know her. Um, But... My mom was a lot better at this than I was when I was a teenager. I'll be honest with you, as a teenager, I didn't care a bit about Jesus or living for him or church or any of that stuff. I didn't care about any of that. I was saved. I just walked away from all of that in one way or another. But my mom didn't. Praise God for that. And mom was praying for some of the people that were in her circle. And see, by definition, what happened, because I was in her circle and she was trying to teach me what it meant to uh, understand who Jesus was and what he did, then all those friends of mine that I brought to the house or that I played soccer with or that I ran around and got into trouble with, uh, every one of those friends suddenly were injected into mom's circle. And so I had this one friend who had a terrible childhood. Uh, his father was murdered in a bar. Uh, he pretty much grew up on the streets in the bad part of Odessa. Uh, not long before he became my friend, uh, he was nearly killed. A guy was shooting at him as he was running away from him. And, you know, it's just one thing after another with Bill. And uh, so we played soccer together. So we started bringing Bill around the house because you know soccer was what we did, and uh, Bill had he introduced a lot of stuff that was far from what my parents stood for as Christian people. And Mom started praying for Bill. And she told me she was praying for Bill, and I didn't really like that too much because I didn't want her messing with my friends. <laughs> and you know, one day. We were playing, having soccer practice, and a group of guys pulled up and were watching us, and uh, they were sitting on the hoods of their car watching us play soccer and uh, doing through the workout. We were preparing for a state tournament, and so they just pulled up and watched us for about an hour or so, Uh, and when practice was over and we started to leave, those guys met us at the gate and started telling us about Jesus. Jesus. And I'm not proud of this, but I'd say I didn't want to hear it. I, was, I knew the Lord and I was running from the Lord with everything that I had. And so I just went and got my car and drove off. But my friend Bill stuck around. The next time he came by the house, which was not long after that, he told us that those guys had introduced him to Jesus Christ and he had given his life to Jesus. I thought my mom was going to go up in holy smoke at that point. God has strategically placed you in a circle of people who desperately need life. And so part of that is a conversion thing, but part of that also is a discipleship thing that goes beyond the conversion event. It is the lifelong process of walking with Jesus and listening to Him and learning how to do that and learning how to pray and, and what it means to be like Jesus Christ is, to be a disciple of him. I didn't really understand that even after I became a, a minister. I, I didn't get the full dose of what that looked like until I joined a group of guys. I was a youth minister and I joined with a, a group of other youth ministers who were the executive staff of a youth camp and we worked all year long to plan two weeks of youth camp through the course of the summer that reached probably, I don't know, it wasn't that big a camp, probably maybe 1,500 kids over a two-week stretch but it was the year-long planning process that God used to teach me about discipleship because I had a guy who was the director of that who was discipling us and so I would go to these meetings with these guys and it was all kinds of fun you know there's nothing more dangerous than a bunch of youth ministers in a room together and so Mike knew that Mike Jones knew that and so he taught us as we went in to put all the garbage aside and just start in with prayer thought I knew about prayer but when I sat down with Mike running those prayer meetings it was like stepping into the throne room of heaven I mean Mike had a way of praying that I had never heard before and he's the one that began to teach me that there's more to prayer than just firing off a quick round of requests and moving on God has strategically placed each of us in a circle of people who desperately need life. That's conversion, that's discipleship. And so the question then is, how does that fit prayer? As we come to these sessions where we're learning about praying with Jesus, as he prays here in John 17, as I said, what I call the the Lord's Prayer, we just get to eavesdrop on him while he's praying. So he makes this statement. I, I, I've, I've, I've dealt with these whom you gave me. Who is it in your life that God gave you to disciple? And if you don't know, then there's your point of prayer. Okay, If you don't know who is in your circle, whom you're supposed to be helping to walk with Jesus Christ, then make it a matter of prayer. God, show me the people that I'm supposed to be discipling. We, too often we use the Great Commission of Matthew 28. We use that way too often as a marching order for a church without it ever being my own commission from God. We're all called to make disciples. So who is it? So pray for clarity. All right, I'm going to give you a few personal prayer hints here. All right, here's the first one pray for clarity. About who's in your circle. You should hear this. You you, you start thinking about this and ask God to show you those people around you that need to be discipled. You're going to start seeing more people than you could ever hope to disciple. They're everywhere. Some of you who do this discipling on a consistent basis. I know many of you do. You know that the, the, the supply of people who need to be discipled is endless out there. It's one of the reasons I think God gave us all this call uh, because two or three people are just going to get worn out in this process because people are messy and people demand a lot and people (laughs) can be like parasites and just suck the spiritual life out of you if it wasn't replenished by Jesus Christ. So it's for all of us. So pray for clarity about who those people are. Edgardo and our evangelism team is going to help us with that as we go forward because they're talking about we're working towards uh, a strategy as a church that will keep this in front of all of us all the time. So you'll be hearing more about that in the very near future. So also pray for wisdom about the way to do this. How do, okay, let's just say I, uh, I identify these people in my circle. How do I disciple them? That's a big question. Here's another one. Pray for patience and strength as you do it. I love the story of a pastor who was talking to a young boy in his church and the little boy was, you know, he's just kind of one of those kids. You just know that he dealt his mother misery all the time. And so the pastor was talking to him about how they, you know, do y'all say nighttime prayers before you go to bed? And the little boy said, "Yes, sir." Mama prays every night as I'm getting into bed. He said, "Really?" So, so what does she pray? How does she pray for uh, at that point? And he says, "She every night she says this: God, thank you for putting this boy to bed." <laughs> That's a cry for help. We need to know. We need patience. We need strength. All right. Jesus knew his circle. Jesus knew his calling with them. And he knew how to bring them along. And so at this particular point, he stops and he says, These are the ones you gave me. And I've been faithful in what you called me to do. So just to wear this very quickly. um, Do you know your circle? How's it going with the discipling of your circle? I believe that as a church... At any church, when we get serious about discipling people, God will send more people. Because people need to know what it means to walk with Jesus Christ. His claim is not an empty one. I came that you may have life that will blow your mind. That's road tramble Version, John 10, 10. People have to know how to walk into that. So it's a discipling process. Here's another one. Now go back to the first part of this Verse where he says, I have manifested your name to the people. We need to clarify some terminology here because it's not enough just to know who your circle is. You need to make sure you have the right strategy. So the word, well, he says, I I have manifested your name. Your name, or name in this particular case, is biblical shorthand for character. The essence of who God is. So the name of God is not the one that we find in Exodus as God's talking to Moses and who do I tell him sent me? And he says, you tell him I am sent you. That's not the name we're talking about. Now Jesus is saying, I have shown them, manifested who you are to these disciples. I love this story. Another one of those old uh, previous generation preachers actually Louis Sperry Schaefer was a theologian and a pastor, and uh, in his church, it is said that he often slipped into these prayers that were, uh, I'll say high and lofty, okay, his people didn't see them that way, he used those, some of those $10 seminary words in his prayer, you know, and they just kind of tended to drone on and on and on, kind of like me tonight, and uh, in the process of that, his people were just like, oh, man, he's killing us with these long, high, lofty prayers. And so in his particular church, the choir sat right behind where he stood to do that, where the pulpit was. And so one of those choir members decided she'd had about enough of that. And so one Sunday morning he got up and he went on and on with this prayer. And She's an old Scottish woman, and so I'm not going to try to do it with a Scottish accent, but she reached across in the middle of his prayer and she tugged on his, I started to say his cape, his robe. Tugged on his robe and she said this, just call him father and ask him for something. Let me tell you something, that's, there's insight in that. Jesus says, I manifested your name, who you are to them. It almost sounds in that particular story that the Scottish woman understood a little bit more about who God was, maybe, than the theologian did. Just call him Father and ask him for something. It says he manifested his character. That word means to make clear or to reveal. I've gotten several comments about wearing glasses. Uh, They're not new glasses. I've had them for a while. Wearing glasses is not a new thing for me. I started wearing them when I was in the fifth grade. But I wear contacts most of the time. And I think El Paso uh, dryness and El Paso sand is starting to get to my contact wearing bit. Uh, So I came in the office the other day. And within the first ten minutes, two different people said, Well, you look smart. Now, I didn't say it, but I started to say if I'd have if I'd known that would help, I'd have bought glasses a long time ago. But then the other person, the third person, said, "You look weird," <laughs> which is probably closer to the truth. But here's why I bring it up: if I don't have glasses on, I can't. I'd know you are out there because I could hear you breathing, but I wouldn't be able to see you, right? So one of the things that I could, if I had time, I'd tell you how I came to know I needed glasses in the fifth grade. But here's, here's what I want you to get. Okay? Glasses help to reveal stuff for me that I wouldn't see that was out there otherwise. Jesus says, I have, with these that you gave me, my circle, I have revealed to them your character. Those disciples knew something about God at this point that they didn't know three years earlier how did Jesus reveal God's character to them and the answer is he lived with them he did life with them he asserts the reality I've revealed you and who you are to these people that's discipleship but in the process of doing that we have to come to this and understand that this is what Jesus came to do If we had time, I'd take you back to the prologue of John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 14 and 18. You could go back and read that. Jesus just did what he was called here to do. He lived out the life that God had given before those disciples, and they got it. Or at least 11 of them got it. But they were in this process of getting it. So let me, if we go back and lean on that, who was Jesus? Well, he was God's son. He was God in the flesh. And so he left eternity past to come and to reveal God to them. How did he know who God was? How did he know who to reveal to them? And the answer was, he had been with God. He was God. So here's a principle for you. In your own discipling with other people, you cannot reveal what you do not know. You cannot reveal what you do not know. And so if you're not walking with Jesus... You don't have anything to teach anybody as a disciple. And so that pushes us to a prayer focus. i got three prayer focuses and I'm done. Here's the first one. Uh, here's the way I would say is a good way to pray. God, help me to know you better today. This goes a lot further than, you know, Lord, i got this corn on my foot that's killing me. This is, this is transformational prayer. Help me to know you better today. That's personal prayer, but it gives you a toolbox as you disciple other people. It's one of the ways I know that. Uh, One of the things Jesus did is he used teachable moments with those disciples. And when the teachable moment comes, you have to have something to teach It's too late for you to learn it at that point and teach it. Remember in Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration, Jesus goes up, takes his inner circle with him, and as he's coming down, he sees that the other disciples are mixed up with some stuff because there's a boy with a demon there. You remember that story? Remember that story? Okay, I'm out of time, so you checked out on me. So the story is that Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, what's going on over there? Well, you think Jesus didn't know? (laughs) It's a teachable moment. So he forces them to know what's going on. And their answer was, we can't do this. We've seen you do it, but we can't do it. And, of course, the boy with the demon was a whole another story. And the parents were a whole another story. And so at the end of, of that, Jesus goes and he takes care of the boy and casts out the demon. And then he looks at the disciples who say to him, well, why couldn't we do that? Remember what he said? In my translation, it says, Jesus, Mark chapter 9. Jesus says, this kind only comes out by prayer. So later the disciples would say to Jesus, teach us to pray. Okay, Jesus is is a master at seizing teachable moments. And as a discipler yourself, you have to walk with Jesus and know what it means to do that. Because when teachable moments come for those people that you're working with, your children for instance... You better have something to say. Case in point, I'll tell you this and I'll I'll be done. I'm not going to give you all the ones that I had for you, but uh, here's one. Uh, We got a phone call this week from our daughter. You know, Lauren's deep into her pregnancy and things are going well. Thank you for praying for her. Please keep it up. But they're also moving this week because she's a road trammel at heart. So it's too easy just to be high-risk pregnancy. Let's move in the eighth month. So that's what they're trying to do. And so they they ran into some problems uh, with the move, particularly on the money side of things. And uh, so we get a phone call. It's not a full meltdown, but it's close. And so the natural parental response to that is, well, we'll help you out. But that's not our natural parental response. (laughs) You see, Teresa and I talked about it, and we're prepared to help them out financially if they need that. I mean, if if they're going to go without food, or then we'll probably help them a little bit, maybe. My grandson, for sure. If they don't have gas to get to work, then we'll clearly help them with that. But, you know, one of the things that Teresa and I came to was some of the greatest lessons we learned about trusting God came when we had $2 in a bank account and 20 days before payday. You know what? There's nothing wrong with saying to a child, this is a good time to see if God really can help you. Hard to do that, but it's a great lesson. Okay, Teachable moments. There's more prayer here for an individual that we find just here. Who's in your circle? And are you living in such a way as a disciple yourself that you reveal, manifest the character of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it does surgery on our hearts. Help us to be good patients and good students and good disciples. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here. Good night.